Ridgecrest, it is so good to be with you this morning, uh, albeit remotely, to have an opportunity to bring the word to you, to join with you in uh, living rooms. And I got to be honest, some of you are very casual uh, this morning, which would be new for me. Uh, but man, that's a good look. Uh, some of you, uh, you still got dressed up. Ty, well done. Uh, that's, uh, that's pretty exceptional. And so I got my best plaid on this morning. And so, hey, let me lead us in a word of prayer as we kind of gather in these different manifestations of our corporate body in all the different homes and apartments all across our community and, in fact, all across the world. Let me pray for us in this time. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that it endures. I thank you, God, that it transcends. I thank you, God, that it enlivens. God, we rejoice at evidence of new life this morning in the baptism of our brother. God, we rejoice that your church still stands faithful. Not just this church. Not just in this community, but globally. Your church, the believers, globally, stand today and give testimony to your goodness, to your faithfulness, to the in, enduring nature of your word. God, I pray that you would give hope to the hopeless. God, I pray that you would give help to the helpless. God, I pray that we would stand equipped. I pray that we would stand ready. And God, I pray that we would stay faithful. We submit all this to you in your son's name. Amen. Amen. And what a wild week. A number of things uh, that we thought were true have been fundamentally shifted and changed this week. Uh, some, of them, some of them good. Some of them were still struggling to understand the realities of them. Uh, one thing that I found particularly humorous this week are all the different memes coming out. Uh, these discussions of... Uh, this is now you finally get to see what it's like to have your kids at home. And so we recognize that school teachers truly are superheroes, uh, that some of them were in uh, dealing with our children all semester. And we thought our children were slight little cherubs. It turns out that there's something decidedly different uh, than that. And then the other ones that came out, uh, the ones of uh, kind of what we thought homeschool moms look like, and there are all these Amish people dressed up. And then below it's the picture from Tombstone. It says, now what we know homeschool moms are like. Everybody is a homeschooler now. Amen? Amen. Man, uh, in times of this and, and looking at this, there are a number of different solutions that are being uh, put forth. There are a number of different pieces of wisdom that are being put forth. And one of the things that you see people write and see people say is the idea that desperate times call for desperate measures. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Listen, for this to be truly a desperate time means it is a time without hope. And as Christians, we recognize that this is not a time without hope, but this is a time for hope to shine. This is a time for hope to stand forth. This is a time for us to testify to the goodness of our God who gives us an unassailable hope. And so instead of desperate times calling for desperate measures, this is a time of desperation that calls for Christians to be faithful to and through the gospel. 
This is a time when we see desperation in the face of our neighbors, desperation in the face of our coworkers, desperation in the face of our nation. And it is a time for Christians not to fall prey to desperation, but to stand up and be faithful to and through the gospel. And that's what Paul gives us here in Colossians 1. If you have your Bible, I invite you to read with me, to open it up with me. You'll see the verses at the bottom of your screen. But the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Colossians chapter 1, and let's look at verses 5 through 8 this morning. And he says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let me just remind you kind of what Paul is talking about and where he is coming from. Paul said uh, previously, back in verse 4, that they have faith in Christ, that they have love for all the saints, and we came to understand that this faith towards Christ vertically and this love towards the saints horizontally came from, were birthed out of the hope they have, which is laid up in heaven. So we have this phenomenal picture that our hope is constantly being laid up more and more and more. It's not just kind of laid up and static and resting there, but it is constantly being laid up, giving us an indication that we can be encouraged today, that we should be, in fact, encouraged today. But the question comes for us, okay, like, I understand this. Our hope is, according to 1 Peter 1, 4, it is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, that it's kept in heaven for us. But we have this understanding that that's where it is. But how did it come to us? How have then we received hope? How have then we received something that is unalterable, that is unchangeable? Look what he says. He says, we've received this because we have heard from the word. He says, of this you have heard before in the word, the word of truth, the gospel. Paul gives us this fundamental reality that for the Christian, there remains hope, and hope produces faith, and hope produces love for all, and through the conduit of the gospel. Now, Paul had this terrific thing to say about the gospel in another one of his letters. If you flip to the left a little bit, you can see in Ephesians 1, verses 11 through 14, Paul speaks of Christ, and he says, "...in him we have obtained an inheritance." having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Friend, even today, even today where you sit, even today in the difficulties you're enduring, even today, God is working all these things to the purpose of his will. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you heard the gospel, and what does he say next? And believed in him. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. When you heard the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that says God saves sinners. The gospel is the good news that gives us an account that even though humanity rebelled and sinned against God, that in the garden Adam and Eve rebelled and sinned against God, that you and I in the kind and likeness of Adam have personally rebelled and sinned against God. We said, I want to follow your rules. I want to follow your character. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 that we are dead in our sins and trespasses, but the gospel came in. 
And when the good news of the gospel was introduced into the deadness of our life, it produced life and hope in us. And this hope is working and it is being effective and it's producing faith in Christ. It's producing love for the saints around us. This gospel still stands today. It is the word of truth and it endures forever. Amen? It is keeping us safe and steadfast today. Though we may die, though we may be persecuted, though we may lose our jobs, His gospel stands fast forever. This gospel has come to us. This gospel has rendered us alive. It has changed our lives. It has produced life in us. It holds our hope sustaining for us. Paul expands it. You see, he doesn't just give a personalized understanding of the gospel, but he gives an expansive understanding of the gospel. He says the gospel is good for you, but it's good news for the whole world as well. Look at what he goes on to say. Verse 6. It has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. It's hard for us, I think, to understand I mean, what good can come of this. Isn't the gospel encumbered? Isn't, isn't the purpose of Christ restricted? Aren't these things made more difficult on the basis of people being quarantined? I spoke to a friend of mine earlier this week in Italy, and he said people previously far away from God with no interest in spiritual things are being awakened to the reality of mortality and are being awakened to the reality of the emptiness of their worldview. They want hope. They want to know there's something beyond the government that's struggling to give them answers. They want to know there's something beyond medicine that is struggling to give them answers. They want to know there's some kind of hope that transcends the difficulties they're currently enduring. And there is. There's the living and acting and breathing Word of God which brings hope through faith in Christ. He says it's producing hope. So I spoke to my friend in Italy. I spoke to a, another Christian in a closed country and just wrote him a short message and said, how are you in light of all the things that are going on? He wrote me back. He said, listen, everybody's afraid. Everybody's fearful. But let me tell you, I spoke to a woman in my country and she's recently come to faith. I spoke to my son in the same country and he has recently come to faith. The gospel is still increasing and bearing fruit globally. Even in Greenville, Texas, People previously thought that, oh, I wouldn't face any difficulty, oh, I wouldn't face any persecution, are currently experiencing difficulty and isolation and an absence of hope, and they can't fill up that hope with a community they sought to fill up their needs in life. They need the hope that comes from the gospel. They need the hope that comes from the gospel. Paul writes and he says, it's bearing fruit, it is increasing. Jesus gives us a picture of what it looks like for the gospel to bear fruit in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verses 3 through 9. Jesus speaks and Mark records. He says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Another seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up. Yet since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away, and other seed fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up in expansion of the gospel in the multitude of people, but in some sense, it's also it's producing the gospel effects in your heart. 
So that we have this understanding that, that long exposure to the gospel and the goodness of God is working to produce holiness in my heart. And so formerly I might be able to be uh, drawn into certain sins or certain worldviews or understandings or actions, but long exposure to the good gospel of Jesus Christ produces holiness in me. It's producing a better reflection of Christ in me. And I think we can see that. The gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. It's producing righteousness in me and a hunger for righteousness in me, a disdain for sinfulness. And the gospel growing and increasing in us should produce in us a zeal for the lost. And some of us need to spend our time not being occupied scrolling and, and looking news and trying to become medical doctors or, or research uh, professionals at home. We need to abandon those pursuits and pursue holiness with God, intimacy, and let him form our hearts to have a zeal for the lost. Do you know your neighbor's names? Do you know your neighbor's stories? Do you know where the former intersection of the gospel encountered your neighbor's heart? Do you even know if it has? Have a zeal for the lost. Give yourself in this time to a pursuit of God and let him transform your heart to make you useful in this time. Paul says, look, it's been bearing food and increasing in the world and in you since the day you heard and understood. So it gives us this understanding that the gospel isn't something that just came along and said, I, I really like this. I'm just going to put this in my pocket and wear it around for a while. But no, they heard the gospel. They took it into their minds. They understood it. They, they began to, to work through it, and now they have internalized it. They have heard it and understood it. But look how he describes it again. Previously in verse 5, he said it was the word of truth, the gospel. And now here in verse 6, he says it is the grace of God and truth. Now, part of what Paul is doing is seeking to combat those who were, were assaulting those in Colossae. Saying, listen, the way you please God, the way you grow close to God is by doing this set of things, by being a legalist. And then there are others that said, no, 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 it's not just doing things, but it's doing things in a really particular fashion. They were OCD Christians in some sense, right? You need to do it this way, you need to do it this way, you need to do it this way. But Paul writes and says, listen, it's the grace of God and truth. John 1.17, John 1.17 gives us this picture of this, of who Jesus is. It says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. When you encounter the freeing word of Jesus Christ, his grace and his mercy, it sets you free. It doesn't set you free to legalism and need to live a certain way to please the Lord. But it sets you free unto him. And when you give your heart to Jesus and when you allow him to be Lord over your life, he's reordering your priorities. He's reordering your heart. And he's forming and fashioning it and giving you a heart to pursue him. We understand the grace of God in truth. That Jesus died to save sinners. That God didn't save us according to what Paul writes in Titus 3 and 5. On the basis of works done by us in righteousness. But according to the faithfulness of God. Now how did they come to hear this? See, Paul didn't deliver this letter to those in Colossae. They heard it through someone else. So what we see in verses 7 and 8 is this beautiful portrait of faithfulness. I think for some of us, 
We've lived our lives with this understanding. Look, the gospel is going to come to somebody when this phenomenal preacher comes to town or this really influential youth worker or Sunday school teacher or this really godly man or woman when they go and seek them out. Or maybe somebody holds a massive revival and, 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 and my neighbor just happens to wander by. But what we see in 7 and 8 is not a picture of extraordinary means, but a common grace visited in a faithful brother. And you could be this faithful brother or sister as well. So what we see in this is a portrait of faithfulness. Look at what he says in 7 and 8. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. I think we look at this and we wonder, how can I, from the midst of quarantine, from the midst of isolation, what does faithfulness look like for me? What does it look like? Christian, Paul, in some sense, is just always grappling with this understanding of, 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 of who we are and what we're doing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and verses 14 through 16, Paul writes and says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere, in every situation. In every difficulty, in every instance of persecution, in every setback, in every devastation, He is spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. And why is it? Paul goes on, he says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Look at what he does. He asks the question that many of us are asking right now. Who is sufficient for these things? Man, I'm sure many times through this week, you've asked yourself this question. Am I sufficient for this? Isn't this a part of some colossal mistake? Dear goodness, I just want to get off this ride. I told my wife the other day, I can remember the first kind of scary ride roller coaster I ever rode on. We were at this uh, super scary carnival, which I think we just need to establish that almost all carnivals are super scary, right? Sketchy. I'm not sure how much research they're doing in. I mean, that's the sound it makes on a good day. And so I'm there and I'm way too young to be riding this ride, but I I convinced my parents that I needed to ride it. It was the magic carpet ride uh, to Hades. And so it's a magic carpet ride. And so uh, I get on it with my brother and almost instantly it just kind of lurches back and I just slump down underneath the bar. And so I've got the bar just right here going, rah, rah, rah. I mean, just terrified. And I'm screaming, get me off of this ride. Mister, mister. Right? And so it's this understanding that I was terrified and I knew without a shadow of a doubt I was not sufficient for those things. And some of us feel like that's our reality now. We're wondering, am I sufficient to stand up for this? Friend, in the providence of God, he has you here and now. In the providence of God, he has you in your neighborhood. We recognize that our sufficiency, any ability we have, only comes from the Lord. This is just a faithful brother. This week we instituted shepherding groups and so we contacted our deacons our small group leaders men and women who are just faithful across our church so that we could make sure that we are contacting every family member and every close visitor because we want to make sure that you are faithfully shepherded throughout this crisis so that every week if you're attached to this church you should be getting contacted 
And that's not a picture of extraordinariness. That's not a picture that we have just an inordinate number of, of, of super abundant, amazing people. But that's a portrait of faithfulness. And so people understanding what faithfulness looks like. Epaphras is a beloved fellow servant. He's just an ordinary person who shared an ordinary gospel to transform, transform ordinary people for the benefit of a spectacular salvation. So let me just give you a few points before I close in prayer. Some things that we can all do in this time. And share the gospel. Share the gospel. You have an opportunity to live the gospel in this time. When your neighbors encounter you and they say, why are you not stockpiling toilet paper? Why are you not hoarding? Why are you not doing these things? You can truthfully tell them, I have a hope that transcends this desperation. I have a hope that is unassailable. Can I tell you about it? Can I tell you about a God who loves you, who sent his son to die for you, who raised his son up from the dead and calls you to know him? And let's not just share the gospel and tell people and inform them about God, but let's invite them to know him to come into relationship with him. Let's extend the gospel and call for response. Man, let's redeem this time and not squander it. We have an unbelievable access, thankfully due to technology, to watch movies and to connect with friends remotely, to access news 24-7. But let's not squander this time. Let's not fill up this time that God has given us to create quietness and remoteness. Let's embrace this time. Parents, you likely have more access to your kids than you've had before. Don't squander that opportunity to model Christ for them, to display faithfulness to them, and to share with them candid pictures of your struggles. And show them a God you're trusting in to provide for you. Teens, and some of you are so incredibly crushed and disappointed. This is your senior year of high school. This is your senior year of college. And you're thinking, why me? And use this as an opportunity to grow in your faith and trust in Jesus. Don't bemoan the difficulties of the situation God has you in, but lean and trust in him. Pursue the heart of the Lord. Now lastly, man, we all need to take Again, this idea from the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 that has just been this stalwart passage for me. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul writes, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And there are people around us without hope that are truly struggling. Let's not waste our energy belittling their struggles. Let's love them in the midst of them. Some of these people are not Christians. Let's extend the gospel to them. Some of these people are Christians. Let's remind them of the hope they have in Christ. And Paul goes on. He says, let each of you not look only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. We should be others focused. To the detriment of ourselves. This is an opportunity to let the hope of the gospel be incredibly transformative in our lives and the lives of those around us. Take hope, church. Take heart. This isn't a situation where desperate times call for desperate measures. This is an opportunity in a time of desperation 
for us to be faithful to God. The gospel is growing forth. It is growing and it is increasing. Let us be found faithful. Let me pray for us as we continue our worship. Father, we thank you that you give us an opportunity God, to worship you in this time. And God, we pray that we would be faithful, that we would submit to you. And Father, we pray for those who need to respond to the gospel. This time has shown them, has displayed to them that they have not placed their hope and confidence in you. They've placed it in their, their jobs, their finances, their friend group. But God, I pray that they would place their hope in you. And I pray that they would reach out through our Facebook page by commenting, sending an email to one of our elders. God, that they would find faith and hope in the gospel. We submit these things to you in Christ's name. Amen.